Thursday is Independence Day in America. It's a day that we celebrate our nation, we celebrate our liberty, and I stand up here to say without uh, reservation that I believe with all my heart this country is the greatest country on the face of the earth. I say that unashamedly, but I also will say this nation is filled with a lot of craziness. And I don't mean craziness in a good sense. George, George Carlin once wrote a piece entitled Paradox of Our Time. You may have read it before. In it he said, the paradox of our time in history is we have taller buildings but shorter tempers, wider freeways but narrower viewpoints. We spend more but have less. We buy more but enjoy less. We have bigger houses and smaller families, more conveniences but less time. We have more degrees but less sense, more knowledge but less judgment, more experts yet more problems, more medicine but less wellness. We drink too much, smoke too much, spend too recklessly, laugh too little, drive too fast, get too angry, stay up too late, get up too tired, read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions but reduced our values. We talk too much, love too seldom, and hate too often. We've learned how to make a living but not a life. We've added years to life but not life to years. We've been all the way to the moon and back, but have trouble crossing the street to meet a new neighbor. We've done larger things, but not better things. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted our soul. We've conquered the atom, but not our prejudices. We write more, but learn less. We plan more, but accomplish less. We've learned to rush, but not to wait. We build more companies to hold more information to produce more copies than ever, but we communicate less and less. Now, George Carlin may have been right about a lot of those things, but as I said a moment ago, I still believe that America is the greatest nation in the world. And there is those in the, in the world and even in a nation that would call me arrogant, and, and they can do that if they like, but I stand by my statement. We are blessed to have been born and raised in the United States of America. Amen? Someone once said, though, they said, we keep asking God to bless America. They went on to say, he already has. Now it's our turn. It's our turn to bless America. It's our turn to do something good for America. God has and, and, and still is blessing this country. But we need to understand the primary way he wants to bless our nation is through us. The hope for our nation is the church of Jesus Christ. The hope for our nation is the people of God carrying the message of God to this nation. And you know, to be good citizens, we can do many things. We can, we can vote. We can be patriotic. We can salute the flag. We can sing the national anthem. We can show courtesy to all people. We can obey the laws. We can pay our taxes. Even if you hate to do that, we can respect the law and we can pray for our leaders. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, the Apostle Paul gives us some, some more things, some very specific things we can do to bless our nation. I want you to read it together with me. 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 through 6. I urge then first of all that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, 
who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given at its proper time. Well, I read this and there's some things here that we see that God tells us that we can do to be a blessing to our nation. And the very first thing he says is that we need to pray unceasingly. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and, and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. You know, in our nation, we're in such a place. You know, I, I read a little, it's, it's not a true story, but a little story about a teacher who went into her classroom uh, about 15 minutes before a class was supposed to begin, and, and she caught a bunch of boys in a huddle on their knees in the corner of the room, and she went over to them and said, what are you doing? And one of them said, we're, we're, we're shooting craps. And she said, oh, okay, well, that's all right. I was afraid you were praying. And that's kind of the place where we are as a nation. And the reality is people huddle together all over, the, all over the country. Sometimes they huddle together to play something. Sometimes they huddle together to attend some event or some sporting event. Or, or sometimes they huddle together to watch something like we did at, on the Super Bowl here. But seldom in our nation do people huddle together to attend church and to pray. And this is part of the sadness of America because prayer is absolutely vital to the health and the future of our nation. You know, Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Andrew Murray said the man who mobilizes the Christian church to pray will make the greatest contribu contribution to world evangelism in history. Charles Spurgeon, who was known as the Prince of Preachers, wrote, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. Ian Bounds, who wrote many, many books on the power of prayer, said what the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men whom the Holy Spirit can use, men mighty in prayer. The Holy he said the Holy Spirit does not flow through methods, but through men of prayer. And I will add also through women of prayer. You know, we, we must be a people of prayer if we're going to see a spiritual awakening across America and in our lives. And listen, if a nation ever needed a spiritual awakening, it's in the United States of America right now. And this is what God said to, to uh, Solomon in 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. You know this verse. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Listen, we as the people of God, we need to pray for everyone who means anything to us at all. And we need to pray for a lot of people who don't mean anything to us at all. We, we've got to pray for our spouses, pray for our children, pray for our family members, pray for our pastors, pray for our church family, pray for our church leaders, pray for our country's leaders. We've got to pray at home. We've got to pray at church. We've got to pray while we're driving our cars. However, keep your eyes open while you're doing that one. We've got to pray while we're doing our laundry. We need to pray while we're cleaning our houses. We, we need to pray while we're doing our chores. We, we must pray when we get up in the morning and we've got to pray when we go to bed at night. We've We've got to pray every chance we get if we want to see our nation shaken by the power of God. Amen. But that begs the question, 
Are our prayers effective? Well, James chapter 5, verse 16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Which, by the way, you say, well, I'm not a very good guy. Well, I want you to understand this. If you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, you are a righteous person. You've been made right with God. In 1872, the famous preacher Dwight L. Moody, he went to England, but he went there not to preach, but he went to just kind of relax, and he went to listen to others who preach. One Sunday morning, that he was asked to preach in a London pulpit, but he did, he agreed to it, but somehow just the right spiritual atmosphere was not there, and he confessed afterwards that he had never had such a hard time preaching. Everything seemed dead. He, he said to himself, what a fool I was to consent to preach. I came here to listen, and here I am preaching. And then the, the awful thought came to him that he had to preach again that night, and the only fact that kept him from, uh, from, uh, the, the, uh, kept him from uh, breaking the engagement was that he had already given his promise to preach that night. But that night when Moody stepped into the pulpit and he faced the congregation, he, he became aware of, a, of a, a brand new atmosphere. He said the powers of an unseen world seemed to have fallen on the audience. And as he concluded his message and offered the invitation, he said, if there is a man or a woman here tonight who will accept Jesus Christ, please stand up. And about 500 people stood to their feet that night. Now, as Paul Harvey used to say, for those that are old enough to remember, now for the rest of the story. When Dwight L. Moody preached at that morning service, there was a woman in that congregation who had a sister at home who was an invalid. She could not get out of the house. And when she returned home, she told her handicapped sister that, that uh, uh, Mr. Moody from Chicago had preached. And, and her sister heard this. She said, what? Mr. Moody from Chicago? I read about him some time ago in an American newspaper, and I've been praying for God to send him to London to preach in our church. She said, if I had known he was going to preach this morning, I would not have eaten breakfast. I would have spent the whole time in prayer. And then she said, now, sister, go out of the room, lock the door, send me no dinner, and no matter who comes, don't let them in to see me. I'm going to spend the whole afternoon and evening in prayer. And so it was that Sunday night when Dwight L. Moody preached that there was a completely di different atmosphere and 500 people decided that they wanted to accept Jesus as their Savior. Does it do any good for, for, to pray for people? Yes, it does. That's why we invite people to the altar for, for prayer. That's why, that's why we send out prayer requests when we're aware of those. That's why we ask for prayer requests. And we have all seen miracles take place after we have prayed for someone over or over some situation. We pray because we know that prayer makes a difference. Never, ever, ever doubt the power of prayer. We must pray unceasingly for a nation. You know, this is one of the biggest problems that we have is that we see politicians on TV. I don't know if you watched any of the Democratic debates this last week. I didn't watch them. Uh, uh, I just knew it would be very frustrating for me. But here's our problem. This is my problem. With, I'm right here with you. Is that we see things on TV. We hear the things that come out of their mouths. And we get angry. And if you're like me, we even talk to our TV. Do we have any TV talkers in here? Uh, you know, I've got some bad news for all of us. They can't hear us. 
But we're there talking and we're telling them we're mad, we're yelling. We might even feel like throwing things at the TV. And I believe that sometimes, all the time, the voice of the Lord is, is trying to break through to us and say, hey, listen, instead of just getting mad at those, those leaders of the nation, why don't we pray for them? You know the answer? The answer is for them to get saved. That would change everything in their life. That would change their view on the world. That would change their perspective on everything. If they could just meet the Savior of the world, and instead of getting, just getting angry, instead of getting angry with them, we need to turn our anger toward the, the enemy of our souls and the one who's trying to destroy this nation because our fight is not with flesh and blood. We wrestle not with, with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers. Our fight is in the spiritual realm realm and the only way we get into that fight is by getting on our knees we've got to pray for our nation second thing paul teaches us to do to bless our nation we not only need to pray unceasingly but this is a good one this is an important one we need to live righteously he said that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness see god wants us to be godly, holy people. Now, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell on myself. You ready? You ready? You, you're, going to, you, you're going to still love me after I bare my soul and tell you about, tell, tell a story of myself? Some of you are like, tell the story first, then I'll tell you. <laughs> when we were still living in, in South Carolina, there was a time I had gone up to Myrtle Beach to go to the Sam's Club there. And... Uh, I had gotten everything I needed. I was, le I was leaving the store. I was leaving the parking lot. And I was at a driveway. And I had to, it was near an intersection, but I had to get from this lane, from this driveway, across all the traffic to get into the left turn lane at that intersection. And uh, right by this, um, this driveway, uh, there was a right turn lane that is often empty because there's not that many cars turning right there. And I was sitting there waiting for the traffic to clear so I could get past the right turn lane to get on over and work my way across the traffic. And meanwhile, this guy in a car behind me, he, he starts honking at me because he wanted to get out in the right turn lane and I was in his way and I'd forgotten that, every, that the road belonged to him. And so, you know, since I forgot that... I hadn't done anything, and so I sit there, and finally the traffic cleared enough, and I got out, and I got in the next lane, and I thought, well, surely he'll understand, you know, he'll, when he realizes I wasn't turning right, I had to get past this lane, and he pulled out, you know, gunned it, went past me, and you know what he did as he drove past me? He told me I was number one. <laughs> I think you get the picture. He gave me what we call the one-finger salute. And I remember, as soon as that happened, that just, as they, as they say out west, that just chapped my hide. That just really struck me as wrong. And I said, not today, Satan. <laughs> I didn't know Satan drove that model of car, but there he was. And I pulled out in that, in that right turn lane behind him. And, and he turned right, and I turned right. He sped up, and I sped up. He went a little faster, I started going a little faster. And here I am, I'm, I'm you know, at least two miles down the road, and I mean, we're going well over the speed limit. I'm chasing this guy down. I have no idea what I'm going to do if I catch him. 
I could just, you know, and I finally, I finally, I, I got to a place where I could do a U-turn. It didn't take very, before I even slowed down. All of a sudden, you know, this, the Holy Spirit starts, he's working on you the whole time. You ever been there, you know, and he's, he, and, and, and I don't know how God talks to you, but he talks to me like this. He says, Would you, calm down, you big dummy. <laughs> you idiot, what's wrong with you? Anybody, does Lord ever talk to anybody? Those? Okay, I just want to make sure, make sure I'm not the only one, because that would make me feel bad. And so I finally, I, I turn around and, you know, and, and, and the Lord's working on me. I, I finally do a U-turn. I, I mean, I, I went out of my way, speeding, chasing this guy down. I could just see if I caught him what was going to happen. You know, headlines, local pastor arrested after at road rage incident, you know. I, I mean, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, 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 but, you know, I repented after as I turned around and, and was driving away from that. And, and, and there I was. I had absolutely lost my mind. But within moments, conviction surfaced. I mean, why did I do that? I, I'm, I'm typically a calm guy. You know, I don't, things don't, don't set me off like that. And, but for a few minutes, I was a beast. You laugh, but my question for you is, are, at times, are you a beast? Let me see your hand. I just don't want to be alone. See, now you have to love me. Because you confess to yourself. Sometimes you're a beast at home. You don't have to raise your hand on these. At work, at Walmart, when there's one checkout line open and 6,000 people in line, while you're driving, while you're shopping. You know, the, the reality is we can come to church and we can be pretty good people. You know, we can hold it together usually for you know, two or three hours when we come together in church and, and, and we do pretty good and we can walk in here and, and, and do the right things and be on the right place. And, but you know what? God is interested in how we act outside these walls. Yeah. He's a lot more interested in how we act outside these walls than he is how we act inside these walls. And this is what Peter said. He said, live such good lives among the pagans. Notice he said that, among the pagans, among the people, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Francis Chan is a, a great author and speaker, one of my favorites. He was flying to Africa and was seated uh, next to a man who happened to be a Muslim. And they were talking uh, about what they believed. And the man said, yeah, I, I know some Christians and I hear their message and it just turns me off. I'm not interested. So the conversation just sort of petered out. But later the, the man asked uh, uh, Francis what he was doing in Africa. And he started, he just kind of came alive and, and he started telling him about where he was going, that there are these dumps, uh, these garbage dumps where kids would go and they would scavenge for food and, and water and how it broke his heart and he wanted to go there so he could do something about it. And now all of a sudden he had this Muslim man's attention. Suddenly he was really, really interested in what he was saying because the gospel wasn't just words anymore. It was something that had power. It was something that had transformed a person's life to the point that they would give considerable time and resources to serve people in a nation who would be considered the world uh, by the world the lowest of the low. Listen, if we want to have an impact on America, one of the things that we have to be as Christians is real. 
If we want to be effective in our witness for Christ, we have to live our faith out in front of the world. We can't go out there. We can't come in here and play the part and put our mask on and then go out and, 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 and be rude to our neighbors and, and be the worst neighbor in the neighborhood and, and be rude to the cashier at Walmart and be mean to the, to the guy in the pharmacy. And, you know, and, and, and we can't do that. We can't chase people down the highway when they, when they give us the, you know, the number one symbol. You know, that's, that's me right there. You know, we can't do those things if we want our, our witness to be effective because when we say listen Jesus loves you and I'm a follower of Jesus and they say wait a minute that's the person who just who just about cussed me out when I was in the when I was a cashier at that at that store they need to see that what we believe changes the way that we live they need to see God's love put into action in the lives of his children you know it's easy for us to fall into the rut where we can sing our songs and say our prayers and we can say amen at just the right times in the sermon and we can clap at the right times in the service but when it is all said and done we never really put it into practice all the things that we just heard and all the things that we declared it's easy to get to the place where we speak of hope but ignore the hopeless it's easy to get to the place where we sing about healing but we never reach out our hands to those that are sick where it's easy to get to the place where we ask God to give us the nations but we don't tell anybody around us about Jesus see there is such a thing as worthless worship it's worship that has words but no action It's worship that has sound, but no heart. We in the church have sat around too long saying all the right things, but doing nothing. We have spoken powerful declarations. We have sung the songs. We have prayed the prayers, but now we need to take action. And I don't want want to hear us just talk about love at Restoration Life Church. I want to see us live it out. I don't want us to just dream of every nation or tribe and tongue worshiping the Lord. I want us to be a part of making that an actual reality. We must be Jesus in skin to this world. We've got to live holy lives, but without presenting a holier-than-thou attitude. We've got to learn with the help of the Holy Spirit to kill the beast that's within us. Third thing Paul teaches us to do to bless our nation. Pray unceasingly. Live righteously. Number three, live like a missionary. Live like a missionary. You know, one of the things I have many times in my ministry have done when we've had a missionary speaker, I've said to the people and I've said to the missionary, I said, listen, today we don't have a missionary speaking to laity. We have a missionary speaking to other missionaries. Because every person in this room is a, is a missionary. You know what a missionary is? It's not somebody who goes and lives in a foreign land. It's somebody who's, who's carrying out a mission. And we have been given a mission, haven't we? We have all been, been, been sent on one mission, that is to make disciples. 
And and Paul said, he said, this is good and pleases our, our God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, that's, we know the will of God. God wants all people to be saved, not just a select few. And evangelism is, is presenting some kind of witness for Christ with the idea that perhaps a person will put their lives in Jesus' hand. Someone once said this, nature forms us, sin deforms us, education informs us, but only Christ transforms us. And all people need to be transformed by the power of Christ. But that will not happen unless we obey Christ's great commission and we do something about it. We can't leave it to other people. And I'm not saying that you have to do the same type of evangelism. I'm not saying that you have to become like anybody else that you know. I'm saying that God has planted you where you are uh, strategically for a purpose. And he's given you the gifts and the personality that you have. Because there are people around you that he knows you can reach and nobody else can. You know, the sad truth is most, most Christians do little or nothing to present a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I read one time when, many years ago when a, a woman criticized D.L. Moody for his methods of evangelism in attempting to win people from the, for the Lord. And he said to her, he said, I agree with you. I don't like the way I do it either. Tell me how you do it. And the woman said, I don't do it. And he responded to her by saying, well, then I like my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. You know what, while, while unbelievers are shouting out their messages, too often in the church, we're not doing anything outside of these walls to spread the truth of Jesus. It, it, listen, if all we're doing is saying amen to the sermon inside the church and doing nothing outside the church to, to share our faith, then we are not accomplishing anything as far as the mission of God is, is, is concerned. I read a statistic that 95% of all Christians never once try to lead anyone to Christ in their entire lifetime. That should not be. As a matter of fact, I, I recently read that only about 2% of Christians even invite an unchurched person to church in the course of a year. I think we can do, you know, I think probably there. What I'm looking at here, I think we probably do a little better than those percentages, but I think we can do even better. I think we can do more. I think we can reach out. Here's what we've got to understand. That, you know, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I don't know, have you ever done that? You ever looked around and you see all the needs, everything that needs to be done, and you, all the people that are lost, and it's easy to look at it and say, oh my goodness, I, I feel like I'm not even a drop in the bucket. I'm, I'm not even a drop in the ocean. And it's easy to get overwhelmed, but we need to remember in that moment, the Lord does not expect us to do everything. But He does expect us to do something. He expects us to be more alert to the opportunities around us to witness for Christ. Those moments will arise if we'll pay attention. There'll be somebody that will, will confess to you how they're hurting in the moment. That's your chance to bring Christ in the conversation. There's somebody that's going to open about how they feel lost in their, in their life right now. That's your opening to begin to talk about Christ and what He's done in your life. 
Peter said, in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared. That's our problem is that most of us, we're not even looking for it. We're not preparing ourselves. We're not ready when the moment comes. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We, we've got to be prepared and we've got to be alert. We've got to be listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit because He will show us those opportunities. He will open those doors. He will, he will present those windows of opportunity and, and give us the opportunity to, change, to share our faith with somebody. And in that moment, here's the part that's scary. We have to take a step of faith and we have to be bold yet gentle and respectful as we share the good news of Jesus Christ. For a lot of us, that's the part where we stumble. We recognize the opportunity. We see that there's a door open. And in that moment, we're afraid to take the next step. I'm here to tell you, you have the power of, of God living inside of you. You be, be bold. You step through that door and say, listen, I have felt like you have felt before. I want to tell you, Jesus has changed everything for me. It's that moment where you can say, listen, I've walked through the same thing and people prayed for me and God saw me through that. I, I want to know, I, I want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. In fact, can I pray with you right now? It's where you say, listen, I, I've been through the same loneliness that you've been through, but I've found a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And not only that, I found a brand new family at Restoration Life Church. I'd love for you to come so I can, I can introduce you to my family because I know they'll love you and you won't feel alone. The opportunity is there. Be bold, yet be gentle and respectful. I'll close with this. One Sunday as they drove home from church a little girl turned to her mother and she said mommy there's something about the preacher's message this morning that I just don't understand the mom she was just glad that the daughter actually heard something you know and so she said oh well what is it and the little girl looked up at her mommy and said well he said that God is bigger than we are he said that God is so big that he could hold the whole world in his hand is that true the mother replied, oh, that, yes, that's, that's true, honey. That's absolutely true. But mommy, he also said that God comes to live inside of us when we believe in Jesus as a Savior. Is that true too? And again, the mother said, absolutely, that's absolutely true. Uh, what the pastor said was, was right. That's exactly what, what's the, what the truth is. And that little girl just got this puzzled look on her face. And she said, well, if God is bigger than us and he lives in us, wouldn't he show through? My friend, that's what evangelism is all about. Living like a missionary means letting Jesus show through us. If Jesus is on the inside of us, he, he will show through to the outside. If, if the fire of Jesus is burning on the inside of us, then that, then that fire is going to spread to the outside and it's going to be seen by people around us. It reminds me of a cartoon I saw many years ago in Leadership Journal, which was a Christian leadership 
uh, journal, and, and it had a, a little cartoon uh, there. The panel said it had a secretary uh, holding the phone, you know, with a hand over the, over the receiver and, and yelling back into the pastor's office. You could see it said pastor over the door, and, uh, and she was yelling back and said, Pastor, it's somebody from Ripley's, believe it or not. They want to know if they can get a picture of somebody on fire for Jesus. I'm, two of us think it's funny, but Meredith, come on up here. Listen, we have to constantly be on the lookout for opportunities to witness, to invite, to encourage, re really ultimately just to point people toward Jesus. Christ is the only hope for any, anybody and for any country, including this nation. Our country, I do not believe, is too far gone. I don't believe that there's that is impossible for revival to break out in this nation. I don't believe that's impossible at all because it may be impossible with men, but with God all things are possible. This, but this I also know, that it's not going to happen unless the people of God uh, respond like, like he said in, 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 uh, in the verse that we read earlier, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. That's the only hope. We, we need to bless America with Jesus. That's our call. We need to pray continually for this nation. Pray for those leaders that are obviously, obviously terribly lost and living in darkness and confusion. Pray for them. Pray that Christ will reveal himself. Pray that revival would break out in the Senate. Pray that revival would break out in the House of Representatives. Pray that the Supreme Court would, would just be overwhelmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit one day. Pray that, that, the, that the White House and the staff would be in meeting and the Spirit of God would come in and would be so heavy that they'd all fall on their faces in repentance before God. Listen, we need to pray because if we don't pray, then, then, then the, 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 the tool that the Holy Spirit uses in this world is the church of Jesus Christ. So we need to pray. We need to live righteously. We need to make sure. And I'm not talking about trying to be perfect because when you try to be perfect, then all you're doing is trying to put on another mask. Talking about being real. And when you do fail, don't try to hide it. Don't try to, you know, to, to, to shrug it off, but, but apologize and say, listen, that's really, that's really not the way that, a, that I should be acting. And the Lord has really told me I, I was wrong and I need to ask you to forgive me. But be real and live righteously and evangelize fervently. Does anybody here believe Jesus is coming back soon? Are we, are we living like it? Are we living as if we're running out of time? That's the question. Because that's what we're running short on. We need to tell everybody we can. Point as many people to Jesus as you can. You can't save them. You can't make them good, make good decisions. You can't make them decide to follow Christ. But you can say, let me show you Jesus. And the Holy Spirit works from there. Jesus is the only hope for America. But the question is, will America see Jesus in us? Bow your head. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, I, I just pray, Lord, that this would be...